0: Hi, everyone. This is Phil from Integrity Inspired Solutions, and you are listening to the Agile Bytes Podcast. This is a show where we break down lean and agile concepts to give agile leaders the tools that they need to make practices work, get buy-in, and be empowered in their roles to take their organizations forward into greater agility. So let's get started. Okay, everyone, today I'm going to be talking about a topic that is really near and dear to my heart, and that topic is swarming. It is one of those concepts that I find wherever I go tends to really throw teams for a loop and I'm not 100% sure why. So something you may not know about me is that I teach full contact stick fighting. A lot of times when people look at me, the first thing that they think is not, I'll bet that guy does full contact stick fighting, but I do. I teach it. I'm wearing my Paquita Terja sweatshirt right now as we're doing this podcast. And one of the things that fascinates me about a teacher is I'll be going to my students to teach them something that from a mechanical standpoint is relatively simple. It's not a complicated maneuver. There's not a lot of steps. It's a fairly simple thing. And it just seems to cause them so much trouble. You know, something that I thought we might spend 10 minutes on ends up taking the whole time, I'm still kind of amazed at the things that I think will be simple that end up taking a very long time and oftentimes vice versa as well. Swarming is one of these things. It's a concept that is so simple and so powerful and team after team after team after team seems to have trouble executing on it. So I wanted to talk about it because I think it's one of the more powerful things your team can do to not only increase throughput, but actually increase other attributes that we're looking for with agility, like collaboration and things like that. So here's the concept of swarming. It's very simple. It's for any work item that you have, let's say for you, it's user stories. That's what it usually is for us. For any work item that you have put as many people on that work item as you can without them holding each other up or tripping over each other or interfering with each other. Whatever your small pieces of deliverables are, you want to put as many people on the highest priority item as you can and let them work to deliver that item. Now, there's always going to be things that are small that are maybe one person jobs and you would just be sort of falling all over yourself to try to find a way to, to subdivide it so that multiple people could work on it. But the overwhelming majority of user stories in software development can easily be done, can easily be worked on simultaneously by at least two people, if not three or four or five or six. Now this seems to make some common sense, right? Like if if you're prioritizing your user stories or, or whatever it is that you work with, whatever the most important thing is, you want that to get done first. In fact, You want it to get done as quickly as it can possibly get done there would be no reason to slow the most important thing down just so you could make progress on something that wasn't as valuable right so swarming really goes with that philosophy if this is really the most valuable thing the team could be producing let's produce it as quickly as we can let's put as many people on it as we can so that we can go ahead and get it out the door everywhere i go the whole it seems like everyone is really stuck on this one developer per user story thing or this one developer per JIRA ticket or, you know, one developer per whatever your particular work item is. And they just can't seem to let it go. And this is fascinating to me. And as I've worked with different organizations about this concept, there there are things that keep recurring. For example, a lot of times people who are in maybe agile coaching roles or scrum master roles or or roles that operate at kind of that level, you know, maybe maybe a dev team lead or something like that. They'll come to me and they'll say, well, we've talked to the developers and they say there's no way that multiple people could be working on the same card. Well, I've got good news for you. Your developers are liars. They are inveterate liars telling you lies. Well, OK, m- maybe they're not lying. They probably don't know that they're lying, but they are because the vast majority of user stories can easily be worked on by multiple people. It's often just a habit of the mind. It's it's a matter of being able to know how to split work up so that multiple people can be working on it at the same time. Let me give you a really simple example. Let's say I have a user story that revolves around logging in, right? That's something that we all have to do uh, with a lot of applications. And, you know, you, you put in your username and password and you're off to the races. Well, in order to log in, you're going to need the UI, you're going to need the actual screen, the actual login form. You're going to need some repository of usernames and passwords like a database, and you're probably going to need some tier in between to communicate between them like a like an API or something like that. Well, Those are three different layers, and three different people could be working in those layers. Somebody could be doing the UI, somebody could be doing the database, somebody could be doing the middle tier. And this is the case for almost every card that we have, but there's more, right, because I, picked one of the simpler cards that I could think of, but as you think about more complicated cards that have multiple moving parts, maybe talking to different microservices or utilizing different objects from the domain model or things like that, different data stores, maybe even multiple front ends, then your user story can easily have four, five, maybe even six people on it. Other things have to be done for this user story too, right? There have to be tests. Oftentimes there are automated integration tests or end-to-end tests. unit tests those are all things that somebody could be doing so it's really a matter of having teams think about how to take these items and how to work on them simultaneously as opposed to giving one user story per person and waiting for that person to complete their user story now swarming is something that teams will sometimes do on rare occasions like maybe something is in trouble right? Or there's a there's a deadline that's about to hit, so they'll all swarm on something. I recommend swarming as a way of life. Well, development-wise, anyway. I, I recommend that your teams always take that philosophy to their work items. How many people can we put on this? It's a great topic for your daily stand-up, right? How many people can we put on this card today based on the amount of things that need to get done? Again, there's always gonna be those things that come through that are gonna be small and and one person could probably knock it out in an hour or two. And if you tried to put two or three people on it, it might take longer or be difficult, but those are exceptions and not the rule. Generally speaking, most things of note that we build, you can easily have multiple people working in parallel on the different pieces of that thing. And there's all kinds of advantages we get from working this way on all our cards or virtually all our cards. From the business standpoint, our highest priority items get the most manpower. They get the most throughput, they get the most developers on it. So it moves through faster, And this kind of goes back to other podcasts where we've, where we've talked about things like prioritization and utilization. You know, the goal is not to keep everybody busy. The goal is to get things through the pipeline, valuable things through the pipeline as quickly as we possibly can. And so swarming is a great way to facilitate that. If you have your most valuable item and it's at the top and you could put three or four developers on it why would you only put one what are you going to use the other three developers for we're going to use them for stuff that's less valuable right you're going to use them for stuff that's less important why would you do that please stop put your developers on the most important most valuable thing and swarming is a great way to do that so the business gets that benefit from it their most important things are having the most people on it they're going to get developed faster. But even when we think about internally within the development team, there's a lot of benefits we get from swarming. First of all, for any given feature, any given user story, you've probably had three or four devs working on that exact same thing. Now, how many times on your team have you had a bug come up or a change come up? and only one person has worked on that area of the application, right? Nobody knows that code base as well as that one person who built that one thing one time, right? So they're always your go-to person. Hey, this piece needs to be changed or this piece has a bug. They're the person you have to track down because they can work in that area more efficiently than anybody else can. But if you had had three people build that thing, then you would have three different developers who all have intimate knowledge of how that feature works and how the code base fits together. So you have more flexibility in who handles those bugs and who handles those enhancements going forward you're not you're not limited to that one person you also greatly reduce your need to do formal code reviews so i don't know if your team does this or not and there's nothing wrong with it i mean code reviews are good stuff but the more you have simultaneous people working on the same thing, you know, working together on that same card, pairing up, mobbing up, then the less you actually need code reviews, right? If I'm doing the UI and someone else is creating the API endpoint, we've got to be talking constantly. That that JSON contract has got to look the same going both ways. So I know what they're writing, at least at a high level, they know what I'm writing, at least at a high level. We both know the architecture pretty well, even if we don't know all the nitty gritty details of what each other's writing. We're probably going to be looking at each other's code from time to time. And so the code review is sort of happening in process. And if you incorporate techniques like pairing up or mobbing up on your code, then that need goes down further. Everyone has just seen everyone else's code and they've just seen it as they've gone. So those code reviews happen in the moment, as opposed to having to have a once every two week kind of thing where we interrupt the team and we shine the spotlight on someone's code and talk about it for a while. Also, I do realize I'm speaking a lot for me in this, but I think I speak for a lot of other developers as well. There are some things you tackle and it is really difficult to tackle them by yourself. And I don't just mean things that are complicated, but I also mean things that are just boring, they're just not fun, or there are things that are very tedious to work with and things like that, as well as things that, that are complicated. And it makes a big difference when two or three other people are sharing that wonderful experience with you, you know, because you're in it together and you can make jokes and you can kind of keep each other's spirits up and you can chit chat while you're doing the thing. It keeps the energy up. It keeps collaboration up and it just keeps your spirits up because I know that the other two people have my back, right? And I I know we're going to be talking the entire time. I know the weight of this single user story does not fall on me as an individual, it falls on my team as a deliverable. And so my whole team is pitching in, or at least more of my team is pitching in. So there's a big psychological and morale benefit that comes from working in this way, multiple developers cranking out the same feature together. And that feeling of shared pride that we have as a team when when that feature comes out and we've all worked on it and it's just great, you know, we all share in that accomplishment. So I'm a big believer in swarming. There's a lot of upside to it, but what a lot of people struggle with is the how. Okay. So we've got a board full of user stories or we've got a sprint backlog full of user stories or bugs to fix or, or features or whatever level that you tend to work with, how do we do it? Well, the easiest way that you can do it is to actually take those items and break them down into tasks. So take that login user story I mentioned earlier. You know, we, we've got to log in. So someone's got to design the UI. Someone's got to build the UI. Someone's got to create those database tables. Someone's got to create the API endpoint, the controllers behind that. Somebody's got to create, perhaps depending on how it's structured, a domain model around that. Someone's got to do the ORM mapping. Someone's going to have to write tests. Someone's going to have to update existing tests. All these things are things that need to be done in order for this thing To get delivered and every one of those tasks is a potential opportunity for the team to swarm just who's not working on a tasks how many tasks are still open the odds are pretty good again unless they're very small things the odds are pretty good we could pull another person on to start doing those tasks one place that i worked at part of our team was in mexico and we would use this technique all the time to work together because we would take the stories, we would break them into tasks, and I could open up a card and I could see what tasks had been checked off, whose names were next to tasks and what tasks were totally empty. And I could just hit those guys up in instant messaging and say, hey, I noticed no one has created the database tables yet. Are you guys okay if I do that part? Well, yeah, sure. Of course we're okay if you do that part. So it's just a great way for developers to collaborate. We didn't even plan it out in advance, right? It's just, I knew, Here's a card in progress. It's got work that still needs to be done. I could do that work. I could contribute to it. So I'm going to, which is so much better than me starting a new card. It's so much better for everything, for me to assist on those cards that are in progress than to start brand new cards. So that's really all you do. You take the item. You break it down into its fundamental tasks, and then you just hand those tasks out like candy. How many people could we have doing these tasks simultaneously? Now, it's probably not going to be one person per task. A lot of those tasks are small, and a lot of them roll up into each other pretty quickly. But you can still take those tasks, and at least at a high level, you can say, okay, these tasks are kind of about this thing. These tasks are about this other thing. Yeah, we could probably put at least two people on here, if not three or four people. So let's say you do that. You take your card, you've broken it down into tasks. People have volunteered for tasks and you've pretty much got that card maxed out. You know, if you added any more developers, they would just start running into each other. They would be overriding each other on the same file and things like that. What do you do? What do you do with everyone who's left over? Well, then if you want, you can take the next card and do the exact same thing. And as people roll off of the card, the first card that's in progress, they can then join their colleagues on the second card and pick up any open tasks on that card that are still in progress. And by doing this, as your team begins to roll from card to card to card in progress, all sorts of great development health benefits come from this. Now everyone has touched every feature virtually. Everyone is familiar with the code on almost everything. Everyone has collaborated with other people on the team on different things and worked together with them on different things. So it builds trust, it builds camaraderie, and it and It builds psychological safety to be on a team like that. And you're rolling out these cards as fast as they can possibly get done, as opposed to each individual having their own card that is partially done. We have that mindset. We're going to finish work before we start new ones. Okay. Well, we've got all the cards worked on that can be worked on. We've got them all fully staffed up. There's nobody else we can possibly put on these cards. There's no faster we could possibly move them through. Well, let's go ahead and pull the new card then. And that's your cue to start new work. It's a great way to work. It's the way our teams work here at Integrity. It's great for internal morale. It's great for delivery. I highly recommend that if you do not swarm on a regular basis, try it, try it for a couple of weeks, see how it goes. What we find is that most people just can't bring themselves to work any other way once they've gotten a taste of it. So I recommend it to you as well. Thanks everyone for listening to Agile Bites. Agile does sometimes bite, but we don't think it always has to. If you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you happen to be using. And if you can, leave us a comment because we'd love to hear your feedback. What things would you like to hear about? What things did you hear that were valuable to you today? You can also head over to integrityinspired.com to sign up to our email list. But that's all for today, folks. We'll see you next time.